Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's Wednesday, and uh, under the Parsha podcast today, uh, not of time. Today's podcast is being sponsored uh, by somebody new, Brett Pevin in um, in Teaneck. Brett Pevin, in honor of, uh, in memory, I should say, of his grandparents, as he says, Sophie and Al Wiener. Turns out, he and I know some of the same people uh, from one of my old classes, uh, but I won't age myself in going to that. But we're grateful, and uh, nice to have people and sponsors all over the place. And thank you, Brett. Today's uh, partial of course, is by Aero. We got the 10 plagues and so forth. And I'm sure I must have talked about all in the past, I have to find something new to talk about. And my attention was drawn as I was coming home tonight thinking about this to this interesting verse at the beginning where it says, that God commands Moses, listen to the language, He commanded them, El the Hebrew is funny, right? Uh, he commanded them to the children of Israel. The Hebrew is a little bit funny. How would I say it? Um, I'm not sure. It's the Albin Israel, the Alpine Melch Mitzrayim. But anyway, Moses Ben Israel Meir Mitzrayim. And Rashi says, and when he's talking about Pharaoh, he means show him covered, Lachlik Bo covered. Now, why you got to show covered to Paro, that bum? And they say it's interesting. You see over here a very conservative theme in the Bible. God is a monarchist. Even when you're going to fight against and overcome this evil Pharaoh guy, um, but do it in a Bukhavatika way, which is, to my mind, very interesting, uh, engages the attention. Farvos, especially that bum who doubled the bricks now and cut the straw, that mom's there, why are you going to show covered uh, in? Mind you, all during the next 12 months or 10 months, when Moses is going to go through the ten plagues, he's always got to do it in such a way, you know, that he's like showing a, 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 a cover to Paro. There's once or twice he loses it, but most of the time, Moshe holds the line. I'm going back with say not me. And um, this is interesting. Now, how many pharaohs do we have in the Bible, in the Chumash? How many pharaohs? Don't cheat. How many pharaohs? Well, you got three, right? You got the one at the time of Abraham and Sarah. And then you got the one at the time of Joseph. And then what he got? No, you actually have four. So there's one by Abraham, one by Joseph. And then you got the guy, Now I know there's an interpretation that he switched. He was the same guy, but it's not Mustaber, because it's many generations later. So going with the regular push-up shot, there was a new pharaoh, number three. This is the guy who said, Hoban is Many people don't notice. They think that this evil pharaoh, who became notorious in many ways, he enslaves the Jews, he puts on them sorry misim, he makes them backbreaking labor, avodas perech, 
he uh, bathes in the milk, in the blood, I'm sorry, of the babies, which, by the way, is mentioned in Joseph, in, uh, in Manitho and uh, Tacitus, uh, not only in the Chazal. Uh, and he does things like that. Um, but that guy, nothing happens to him. He dies in bed. Did you know, did, I don't know if you noticed that. The Pharaoh who enslaved the Jews, uh, nothing happened to him. He's the one who threw the babies in the river. Nothing happened to him. Instead, many people don't notice this. It's by Hibayomi Murab Mohang, by Yomus Melch Mitzrayim, by Yonchel Ben Israel, Minho Avoda, by Yisakov, by Tal Shabbosem, Rohim Ben Avoda. Very dramatic pasuk in Parshish Shmos, somewhere. Where, but the king of Egypt died, and they had a funeral that day, and the Israelite uh, slaves uh, cried out, and their cries reached heaven. So that means that the original Mamzer, to put the Jew through the uh, Shibud, uh, you know, lived his life, tortured the slaves, and then Gamarno. Now, the way we understand the story, especially like the Mepharshim, the way to read it is like this. The slaves couldn't take it anymore. They cried out to the Lord, we can't take this anymore, right? etc., 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 Right, by Adelhim, you know, all the pesukim that you are probably famous for in the Haggadah, but it's actually in a book called the Chumash. Now, what does that mean? They cried out, "Do something!" And God says, "I will do something." That's what it says. God heard their prayers, and the next verse is, "Um, that elsewhere the burning bush takes place. In other words. Let's say, for argument's sake, that happened on a Monday morning, March 1st, I don't know, 2021 BC. I'll just make it up a date. And it happened, they cried out during the Pharaonic funeral. Let's say it was held at 12 o'clock. And God heard their prayers. Well, around uh, 12.30 or 1 o'clock, there's a bush burning a couple hundred miles away in Midian. And a shepherd named Moses follows his sheep to the burning bush, and then the story starts. So in other words, God answered their prayer off an art, right then and there. They didn't know it yet, because it took a little while, not that long, for Moshe to be recruited against his will, and to actually show up in Egypt. So like I said last week, I think it was, you know, give it a few days, no, give it a few weeks, a month or two, fine with me. But within a relatively short time, you know, the, the, the fix is in. Moshe, the deliverer, is coming to Egypt. With Aaron, and uh, you know, not long after that uh, issue, so basically the slaves could not know that as they cried out and say, "Help and help us," one year from then they won't be slaves anymore. That's just a, a dramatic part. Now think closely what I'm about to tell you. If that's true, then what it means is there was a brand new pharaoh. The old guy died, kicked the bucket. They were at the funeral. So his son now takes over, I guess, his successor. So when Moshe shows up not long afterwards, it's a brand new pharaoh. Correct? This explains a lot. Because God said, I'm going to harden his heart. Well, he's a new guy on the throne. Just like his first crisis, you know. Like Nixon used to write about crisis and leadership. It's a, it's a representative of the slaves. Let my people go. Now, it's not representative of all the slaves. Uh, pay close attention to the fact that Moses never, never goes and says, I want to make a emancipation proclamation like Abraham Lincoln 
and free all the slaves in Egypt. That would crush the country. You know, ancient civilizations depended totally on slavery. I mean, you know, that's how it was. And the Torah itself does not prohibit slavery, as is notorious. So, all Moshe is saying is, you know, the Zionists for it. You want to run your dictatorship? Go ahead. You want to run your land of oppression? Go ahead. Get the Jews out. <laughs> right? Get the Jews out. That's all. What What has Israel been doing for all these decades with Ethiopia? Did they go to Ethiopia and say, okay, stop your civil war, bring law and order to the country, end the crisis, you know, civilize yourselves, stop uh, the slaughter? Nah. It's just like this. You do what you want to do. When your country is ready to settle down, it'll settle down. When your different tribes and ethnic groups, you know, uh, work it out, they'll work it out or not. We want to get the Jews out, right? That's the Red Sea operation. You know, we want to get the Jews out. That's all. So this is a brand new crisis for a brand new pharaoh. This new pharaoh is the power of 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 Yitzhak's triumph story. And this guy Moshe shows up, momish, right around the time he was crowned. Right? His father died very recently. He's a new pharaoh. And here's the first crisis. And sure enough, Ani Aksha slave power. He's not going to give in. You can already see it yourself. It's a new guy on the on, on, on the block. He's new in the in the in the executive position. He's not going to begin his reign as Pharaoh of Egypt by buckling to this uh, slave business. Mi Hashem Lo Hashem. Yeah, I mean, you're new at the job. You know. Okay, I get it. Now, that being the case, it would be, in my opinion, I'm just sharing you as always my opinion, my understanding, it wouldn't be hard for a guy like Moshe to undermine the authority of the new king. Um, that's what I would do. And to uh, say, what are you following this loser for? Uh, Moshe could have gone to all the uh, interest groups within Egypt, the different power centers. He could have plotted against the pharaoh. He could have hocked and, 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 and negotiated and done underhanded deals. But Hashem said, I don't want to go through the back door. I want to go through the front door. But it's Avem, Paro, Malcolm, it's Rhyme. You're going to deal with Paro. They don't deal with anybody else. And even though this Pharaoh is going to be hard-hearted, you'll see, I'm going to make a, a, a template situation in which that'll goof will be the word. For your base, most I bear it's Rhyme. Dafka, because he keeps, you know, he's new and says, I won't give in. I'm going to force him to give in. And then you'll see, I am the Lord. It'll be from that. Otherwise, you could always bring about an emancipation, or at least a partial emancipation, through other ways. I just told you, what has the state of Israel been doing since 1948? You get to the right guy, you pay him off. <laughs> that's the that's the bottom line. Once upon a time, it was the communists. Another time, it was this. Another time, it was the sheik in the Yemen back in 1949. Now, you do what you got to do. So Moshe could have showed up. In other words, Moses was a different figure. I've told you many times, I've repeated this often, David Ezra says, why did Hashem choose Moshe to be the leader he wanted, leader he recruited? Why didn't he get a Yid? Uh, Moses wasn't Jewish. I mean, I know he was Jewish, but he was raised like a guy. And the answer, there are many answers that David Ezra offers, but one of them is, you know, if it would have been a Jew... He wouldn't have done the way God wanted. He would have done, let me talk to the prime minister. Let me talk to the queen. Let's do some lobbying. This is how the Jewish people operated throughout history. Right? In the Gullahs. Whenever the Jews in bad shape, you try to figure out who to lobby. What choice do we have? 
You understand? You should read, it just comes to mind, when they had the pogroms in Russia in the 1880s. I don't know why I'm thinking of this. And uh, it was the Tsar of Russia, Alexander III, who was a real mamzer and a hater of Israel. And you should see, Ritzel Khan and the others and Sam Sri Hirsch, they're, they're, they're secretly corresponding who to get to. Get to the Tsar's brother in law, his sister in law. His mother actually was a queen in Denmark from Hesse Darmstadt. You know, this is what Jews do. So most of you could have gone to the high priest or they could have gone to the grand poobah or the prime minister or something like that. I said, let's make a deal. Hashem don't want that. I want you to deal with Paro, and I want you to go through the front door, and I know he's going to say no, and that's good for my plan. That's good for my plan. It's very interesting. Now, I'll show you what I mean, at least in my construction. We know that um, you have Dom's Friday Kenim. Uh, the third one, Kenim, is the lice. Uh, if you ever look at the pictures of ancient Egypt, you'll see that the priesthood is always uh, totally shaven. No hairs, no eyebrows, no nothing. Not upstairs, not downstairs. I'll leave it at that. Okay? And uh, as well, no, you can see uh, pictures of it. Now, um, uh, why? And by the way, you know, the Torah was given at a certain time, a certain place. And uh, it was given in the Egyptian era. I don't know why. I'm not God. But, uh, you know, many of the archaeologists, especially the Frum ones, you know, will tell you. You see all this Egyptian stuff in um, in the Torah. There is a time element in it. The Torah is also timeless. It's both timely and timeless. And so it's not bound for that period. That's why the Rambam, you know, in the Murray Vukum always talks about Shatnas is connected to the ancient Egyptian priesthood and all that kind of stuff. It has that element to it. That does not mean the Rambam Murabukim is giving you the sum total of the reason for the Mitzvah, but he's giving you one. You might say a historical reason. There are other reasons as well. Okay? So why am I mentioning this? Uh, the Levies, later on in Bamidbar, when they're inaugurated, they're also shaved from top to bottom, like the Egyptian priests. Isn't that interesting? The Heviru Saral Kolbisarum. The chips that began with Taharo. Yeah, shaving from top to bottom. They look like billiard balls when it's all over. That is one of the explanations Chazal offered why Korach launched a rebellion. Because he came home shaved from top to bottom. Imagine a society where everybody has beards. And uh, again, you're shaved literally from top to bottom. Literally from top to bottom. And, you know, the wife said, you look ridiculous. And the story in the Medrash is that Korach said, that's what Moshe said we got to do. And she said, that's crazy. He's making a monkey out of you. And that egged them on to launch the rebellion of Korah. So Egyptian priests were always uh, uh, removing the hair. Now, I remember reading that the reason is because they had a uh, freak out of lice. You know, in their religious hashkafa, Tum and Tahara make a very big, uh, uh, you know, impact. Obviously, I'm talking about the Egyptian version of Tumah, the Egyptian version of Tahara. Was not necessarily identical with the Jewish, but they're very into that. And just as in Judaism, the the Kohanim, Amakoim, are supposed to be hyper about Tumah, right? Right? I mean, we don't practice most of it today. We have we have Tumah Sameis, you know. But you're supposed to be. I repeat, you're supposed to be hyper. So uh, the Egyptian priests were as well, and uh, the dirt of lice apparently. 
was like a big tumor to them. Remember in 1984, the guy was scared of, uh, in, the, in the book of me, uh, the guy was scared of rats. The Egyptian priest brought up in their culture, the, the lice is the worst thing. You see? So they're frequently, they bathe, and, uh, you know, say they're, they're uh, always shaved, things like that. Fine, okay, here's my point. Dumps by day Kenan. When it gets to Kenan, so this is the worst nightmare for the priests. Uh, because it said the Kenan were all over the place. Super. It wasn't just Tom Lice, it was Lice Lice. So it's it's like unbelievably disturbing to them. You understand? They're, they're in tremendous anguish. And indeed, they go to Pharaoh and say, let these people go. The priesthood goes to Pharaoh and said, this is too much. It's not worth it to keep the slaves if we got to be subject to this tumor. Now he's brave and he says, I'm not giving in you wimps. And he holds the line. But what it means is, as I understand it, already from the third play going, you have a powerful lobby that is basically arguing, let them go. Get them the heck out of here. Now, you know and I know, the priesthood was quite powerful. Rock Admasa Konim Lo Kona, remember back in Vaigash, when Yosef, the viceroy of Egypt, uh, portioned out the land, they bought all the uh, land of the peasants and turned them into serfs. They said the land will belong to Pharaoh, just you guys get to keep uh, 20% or whatever it was. Actually, you get to keep 80%. He was enlightened. But not to Kohanim. Admasa Konim Lo Kona, Kichok Paro. I shared some of him, something like that, right? You know, whatever the language is. The priesthood, and that makes sense in all societies, the clergy is, in, until you come to a secular society, the priesthood is the mainstay of the regime. You know, what are the priests saying? Worship the Pharaoh, or obey him anyway. In Egypt, it's taco worship. And so, um, you already had one, one lobby group that was in favor of letting them go. Uh, Moshe could have uh, leveraged that. Uh, I'm sure when you have certain other plagues, uh, other sectors of the economy, shall we say, or of the power structure, were also alienated. Imagine people, the whole industry from the cattle, and then came the Dever. You understand? Uh, imagine the agricultural part when it came to hailstones. Um, you see where I'm going, right? Every society, I don't care if it's run by a dictator, at the end of the day is composed of interest groups. Uh, we certainly have that in America. We uh, pretty it up. And uh, in, a, in a technical sense, everybody has one man, one vote. More or less. I mean, <laughs> present elections, uh, we're not going to discuss. But uh, in, in reality, it's powerful groups. It's this lobby, it's that lobby. And the little guy, very hard to maneuver, among all those big lobby groups. That's in every society. It's called interest groups or corporatism. So in Egypt, they had the priesthood, the army, the farmers, I don't know, you know, the aristocracy. They're different groups. And I'll bet you if somebody made a study, you'd see that the ten plagues probably correspond to the interest groups. Or at least some of them. You know, I don't want to make it too neat. There, If you're writing a Haggadah, I just gave you an idea how to write the Haggadah. But you can certainly see, you know, if the Nile goes bad, uh, you know, all the uh, industries affected by the Nile. Let's put it this way. If this guy Moses could turn the Nile into blood and uh, kill all the fish, 
Who says he can't do it again? You see, you can't do what you and I do. We know the story. We've heard the story a thousand times. So we know there were ten plagues. And then Gamarnu, then they left. But if you're in Egypt living at that time, I don't know what this guy Moshe is going to do. Next month he might say, let's do, let's do the dumb again. <laughs> let's mess up the now. I give out. Imagine it's Friday. Let's do this Friday again. Especially if we go like Dim and Ezra, and it wasn't uh, frogs, but it was crocodiles, alligators. Oh my God. <laughs> Invasion of alligators. And then Moshe like, let's do that again. Maybe I'll do two weeks of Kenim, followed by another two weeks of Dom. You know, who says it has to be in the order that we had? We know the way the story actually played out. Lav Davka had to be that way. And it doesn't mean that the people believed it that way. I'm sure to the Egyptians, when they saw this Moses guy walk in and he saw his stick, you know, swallow the snakes, they figured his stick is like the rod of destruction. He's a magician, a powerful sorcerer. I don't know what. And leave him alone. Don't mess with him. And so it was only Paro, in the end, who is young, untried. I don't know if he's young. I assume he's, let's put it this way, he's new on the job, right? And he's untried, and he doesn't want to, you know, uh, look like he's get, being subject to pressure. No kings and rulers like that. And that's exactly what he's getting. That's exactly what he's getting. By Tzavim, Elpar Malcolm Israel, you deal with Pharaoh, and you don't go around anybody else. And you, you know, and you force him against his will. I recall the matter says, talking Bo next week, that, um, well, it says in the Chumash, you know, the Pharaoh's advisors were already, you know, divided and said, this is not working. Now, obviously, by the way, from a strictly economic perspective, Paro is just an exercise in in um well we see in politicians they can't do the right thing because their ego's in the way. He's a new king, his ego's in the way. If power would have been a cold, hard hearted, very wise, cynical ruler, he would be like a CPA, you know. He says, Listen, the restaurant's not working. Uh it was a nice idea, but you know, now it's time to clear chapter eleven. <laughs> you see? Otherwise, just going to pour money down the red hole. Remember, slavery is a economic institution, is it not? Slavery is all about helping your bottom line, making money for you. Now, if you got this guy Moshe, who you can't control, and he's messing up the economy, then obviously the slavery is not making money for you; it's losing. If it's losing, then I'm sure Pharaoh CPAs. And those guys came in right away, probably after Domus right then. They said, "Listen, here are the numbers, <laughs> Your Majesty. Here are the numbers. Look at the numbers. The numbers don't lie. If we keep going like this, and we have no productivity, and going to have Domus right Kinam or Debra Shchin Harbard Abichosha, if the fields are going to be destroyed by the hail, if the animals, the pack animals, will die, if you're going to have attacks of who knows what, uh, you're going to have the Shchin everywhere, so nobody will be able to work. I mean, uh, think about the fact." that a society thousands of years ago didn't have automobiles, they rely on animals. And the devil kills all the animals. If this keeps going on, the economy's going to crash beyond crash. And so we say to you, in the, in, the, in the most respectful sense, let these people go. Let these people go. Not because we like them, because, you know, the numbers indicate that way. All right, we, we brought in the numbers crunchers. And power can't do it. He hardened his heart. Right? 
He hardened his heart. Hardened his heart is a wonderful expression. It doesn't simply mean, from a frumi dumi perspective, he won't listen to Hashem. He won't listen to his own economy. You understand? He won't listen to his own economy. Uh, in the history of slavery around the world, when did slavery usually end? Either, like in America, he had a violent ending. In many countries, it was when modernity hit, and they saw this ain't the way to make money. You make more money in modern industrial society with free workers who you underpay. <laughs> yeah, like that. They're more productive, and so on and so forth. Um, power can't see it. And so, we have today just a wonderful example of the fact that Hashem says, I don't want to undermine the system. I'm not out to free all the slaves in Egypt. Otherwise, I would act differently. I'm out to take the Jews out of Ethiopia, so to speak. I'm out to take the Jews out of Egypt, one little group, which is why it says, we understand. means that he, God stretched his hand in and pulled out. I remember the Natsiv says this. I saw this once in Haggadah of the Natsiv. Stays with me. Zeronatuya means I stretch my hand in and pull an individual out. You understand? You're holding on to him and I, and I pull him out of your clutches. But that's a, a language, a rhetoric, which denotes selectivity. I want some slaves to leave Egypt. I don't want all the slaves to leave Egypt. So we end up with a story of the Ten Plagues as a story in uh, relating to government, but ultimately in the exercise of punishing Pharaoh. Why? Because by giving him his head, um, he was exposed for an idiot. You know, so I don't know how he ever lived it down. In fact, he couldn't live it down. The shame was too much. Imagine if, let's just pretend, after Dom or after Tzvaydeh, power would say, okay, that's it. My accountants told me this isn't working. You guys can leave. Power and the Egyptians would actually look pretty good. This way, he had to take the country to total ruin. And even then, it wasn't enough. And as you know, what I just told you, the fact that he let them go in the end, after ruining the country, meant that he was enraged at himself for being so stubborn. But as is the case with all these rulers down till today, he couldn't interpret his rage at himself. Honestly, he couldn't look in the mirror and say, boy, were you an idiot. You should have let him go 10 months ago. Instead, he channeled like a Sigmund Freudian way all his anger at the Jews, and he did something which was counterintuitive, and he chased him into the Red Sea. Because that, as we all know, is the story. Now, once again, you know, prudence, common prudence would have dictated up Kepata from the Eden. You finally got rid of him. It, took, it was 10 plagues too late, but you got rid of him after Makas Bechoris. And it's like a cancer gone from the country, you know, like America looks at Vietnam. Let's just move on. Just move on. But he couldn't do it. He saddled up the horses and chased them to kill him or to bring him back as slaves. You see, that's not normal. You get it? That's because his hardening, his hardness of heart ruined his country, made him look terrible. He couldn't live with it. He couldn't admit that he had been an idiot. And therefore, he could only interpret it and rage at the other side. That's so Middle Eastern. That's the way it is today. You look at all these dictators you have over there. They mess up. It's never their fault. And all the anger that you know, uh, psychologically, they may direct it themselves. No, 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 you directed others. Either at this group or that group or Israel or whoever. So you see, they always like to say, the Torah stories are true because they're so fundamental to human nature. 
so it seems to me. The, the, the times change, the technology changes, but the human fundamental nature doesn't change. Isn't that interesting? And so we have a, a very fascinating story in the psychology of, of rulers, at least in the Middle East, if not everywhere, and uh, the consequences of the inability of the ruler to say, I did something uh, very dumb. I don't think I've ever read a presidential memoir which the president says, I did something bad. They'll always explain why they did it and it was actually good. You know what I'm saying? Maybe I'm wrong, but it certainly doesn't come to mind. Now, there are all this vapid stuff in which they can always tell you why what you think looks bad actually looks good or actually turned out good. They can't say, you know, I messed up. I made a mistake. And, uh, hello, Dubberhu. The Torah is telling us, you might say, uh, to beware of all politicians or all leaders, or maybe it's a fault that each and every one of us has in our own lives. With uh, that happy thought, I wish you a good job. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidovidkatz.com.